Welcome to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. Magic Valley Bible Church has been serving the Magic Valley for 20 years and is located at the corner of Gooding and Main Street in downtown Twin Falls, Idaho. Our service starts at 9 a.m. and is streamed live on our YouTube channel. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. Magic Valley Bible Church, built on God's Word. Good morning. When I told uh, Bear what the topic of my message was going to be for Mother's Day, it was through text, but there was a pretty long pause, so I understand as I see it on the uh, bulletin, it's, it's humorous, um, so I apologize now. Uh, the title of the message is The Message of Doom. Um, I picked this message not because it was Mother's Day, but because it was Communion Sunday. And because of Communion Sunday, this message won out. Um, So this is what you're going to get. We as a church need to hear all that there is to know about our God in heaven. We need to know his character. We need to know who he is, how he responds to things. So many times we hear of God's love, his kindness and his patience and his long-suffering. We hear of his omniscience and his grace and his mercy. And by all means... Not only is he all of these, he's the pinnacle of all these things. He's the totality of every one of those descriptive words or attributes. He is all faithful, all perfect, and all powerful. Our God is a great God that we honestly cannot fully know. But he has made himself fully known. Our minds cannot grasp the depth of any of his characteristics. And that's why I'm amazed that people would pick this profession. Because every time we speak of God or give a message about God, we fail. And I will fail this morning at doing that. I will fail at showing you the full wrath of God. Because that is our subject. But our quest is to know Him more today than we did yesterday. And our resolve is to know Him, to love Him, and to serve Him with all of our mind, soul, heart, and strength. Let's pray. 
Dear Lord, be with our hearts this morning. God, please use your word to penetrate our, our hearts and our minds. God, may we know you more. May we know you fully. May we understand your wrath. God, speak through me, I pray. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So I've heard a few messages on the wrath of God. I don't know that I've seen any books or read any uh, that specifically spoke just on the wrath of God. But God is a possessor of a righteous wrath. He is judge and judgment is coming with him. His wrath is righteous and true, and it is an all-consuming, destructive wrath. We as Christians speak a lot about the delightful things of God, but we seem to sidestep the talking about the fierceness of our God. And we would do a great disservice to God if we would skip over any of what He has shown us to be in His Word. We are not ashamed and should not be ashamed of any of his attributes or any of his characteristics. The understanding of the wrath of God is the beginning of the gospel. How many times have we shared the gospel and skipped over the wrath of God? Like it's too offensive. We say to people, will you come to Christ? Will you surrender your life to Christ? Often we do not say you must come to Christ. You must. If Please, if you don't come to Christ, then you are going to be thrown into the lake of fire. And you will not be consumed, but you will be tormented and in agony forever. You will long just for a drop of water, just to experience one ounce of relief, and yet none will be found. Oh, please, come to Christ. You must. And that's now. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. And the wrath of God comes with your death. No sin will be left unpunished. And in His wrath, no one can stand. Church, ask yourself these questions. How can a sinner understand the love of God without understanding His hate? How can they understand grace without understanding God's law? How can they understand forgiveness if they don't understand the penalty for their sin? Men will not seek grace and salvation unless they are affected with the dread of the wrath of God, which is upon them. If they don't understand that they are in great danger, then there is no pressure for the need for them to change. Tell them of the wrath of God. And may the Holy Spirit convict their souls of their guilt. Turn with me to Romans chapter 1. 
And we'll start in verse 16. So this is going to be a topical study. Um, so we'll be bouncing around a little bit. But I'll try using this passage to launch from and hopefully um, somewhat hold us on track. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith that is as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him, honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now you can see here, Paul starts off with the gospel. He's saying that we are saved by the power of the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation through faith. And what is this gospel? Then he launches, and at least through chapter 3, and honestly through the whole book of Romans, is the gospel message. But he starts with what we should start with. He starts in verse 18 with, for the wrath of God. What is the wrath of God? The wrath of God is His perfect reaction to sin. God hates sin. When we use the word hate, anger, and wrath, we don't see that as being good or right. In our lives, I would say that is correct because when we get angry, it is because we are offended or our pride is hurt. We are motivated or influenced by our sinfulness and our flesh lashes out. In this, God is not like us. God's anger is perfect, just like His love is perfect. God's wrath is not an uncontrolled outburst of anger like somehow he lost his temper. God's anger is his righteous response to sin. God is holy and his correct and perfect response to sin, which is opposite of holy, is to be angry and full of wrath. Sin makes God angry. And sinners will be judged and punished by God's wrath. Think back with me to Jesus ridding the temple 
of the money changers and those people selling animals as sacrifice, throws their money on the ground, grabs a whip, makes a whip, and forcefully kicks them out of God's house because it's a place of worship and prayer, and they were making a mockery of God. It was his righteous and holy character on display because he reacted to the sin he saw there. Speaking of Christ, Hebrews 1.9 says that you have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Psalms 45.7, you have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. God's attributes are perfectly balanced in his divine perfection. If he had no righteous anger or wrath, then he would not be God. So I want to show you some examples. Uh, Turn with me. We're going to see some examples of God's wrath. Um, Genesis chapter 6. I use this big old Bible when I preach to remind me of the authority of God's word and the weight that it holds. But I wish I had my old broken Bible that opens where I, I know it should open. feels like I'm holding someone else's. Uh, Genesis 6, starting in verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh has corrupted, had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Kick ahead to seven one. Then the Lord said to Noah, Enter the ark, you and your household, for you alone I have seen to be righteous before me in this time. And then look at verse 19. The water prevailed more and more upon the earth, so that all the high mountains everywhere under the heavens were covered. The water prevailed 15 cubits higher, and the mountains were covered. All flesh that moved on the earth perished. Birds and cattle and beasts and every swarming thing that swarms upon the earth and all mankind. And all of that was on dry land and all in whose nostril was the breath of the spirit of life died. Thus he blotted out every living thing that was upon the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things to the birds of the sky. And they were blotted out from the earth and only Noah was left together with those that were with him in the ark. The water prevailed upon the earth 150 days. That's God's wrath. Turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 5. Jeremiah chapter 5, starting in verse 11.
For the house of Israel and the house of Judah have dealt very treacherously with me, declares the Lord. They have lied about the Lord and said, Not he, misfortune will not come on us, and we will not see sword or famine. The prophets are as wind, and the word is not in them. Thus it will be done to them. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of hosts, because you have spoken this word, Behold, I am making my words in your mouth fire, and this people would, and it will consume them. Behold, I am bringing a nation against you from afar, O house of Israel, declares the Lord. It is an enduring nation. It is an ancient nation, a nation whose language you do not know, nor can you understand what they say. Their quiver is like an open grave. All of them are mighty men. They will devour your harvest and your food, and they will devour your sons and your daughters, and they will devour your flocks and your herds. They will devour your vines and your fig trees. They will demolish with the sword your fortified cities in which you trust. And then look into chapter 6, starting in verse 10. To whom shall I speak and give warning that they may hear? Behold, their ears are closed and they cannot listen. Behold, the word of the Lord has become a reproach to them. They have no delight in it. But I am full of the wrath of the Lord. I am weary with holding it in. Pour it out on the children in the street and on the gathering of the young men together. For both husband and wife shall be taken, the aged and the very old. Their houses shall be turned over to others, their fields and their wives together, for I will stretch out my hand against the inhabitants of the land, declares the Lord. For from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is greedy for gain. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the brokenness of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace, but there is no peace. Were they ashamed because of the abomination they have done? They were not even ashamed at all. They did not even know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall at the time that I will punish them. They shall be cast down. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask of the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. And I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, O nations, and know, O congregation, what is dismiss the children's church. Hear, O earth, behold, I am bringing disaster on this people, the fruit of their plans, because they have not listened to my words. And as for my law, they have rejected it also. For what purpose does frankincense come to me from Sheba and the sweet cane from a distant land? Your burnt offerings are not acceptable and your sacrifices are not pleasing to me. Therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I am laying stumbling blocks before this people and they will stumble against them. Fathers and sons together, neighbor and friend will perish grace we see in these passages that god reaches out to save and protect and guide the people and they defiantly reject their maker and thus 
they kindle his wrath. We see that the Lord's righteous response is anger, judgment, and wrath. Amen. Can we not see God's character of his love and his grace and his long-suffering in these? Can we not see that his response to their rejection will also be his response to our rejection and disobedience? We can. God is the same today, yesterday, and forever. Should we not fear God's wrath? Christ did. Christ knew what was coming when he was in the garden. And he was praying all night. Luke 22, 41 through 44 says, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet not my will, but your will be done. Now an angel from heaven appeared to him, strengthening him. And being in agony, he was praying fervently. And his sweat became like drops of blood falling down upon the ground. What was in the cup? What made him sweat great drops of blood? He knew that in the cup was the wrath of Almighty God. And Christ knew it was him who was to drink of it to save those that would believe in his name. In Luke 23, 44, I think we find the greatest example of God's wrath when we find Christ on the cross. It says that it was about the sixth hour. Darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour because the sun was obscured and the veil in the temple was torn in two. This is noon. And darkness fell in the middle of the day. Complete, utter darkness. And it was in that darkness that God was pouring His wrath on His Son who was hanging from the cross. Crying out, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Do you understand? Christ, there was never a moment that He did not love the Lord His God with all His mind, heart, soul, and strength. And we can't even do that for a second. And yet we see Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, receiving the wrath of God. Isaiah 53, 5-6 says, He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell on Him. And by His scourging, we are healed. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. You know, there's no greater thought than this. Christ took upon Himself the wrath of God and He satisfied and exhausted the wrath of God for those who are His. He paid it all. This is the greatest message that I can share with you today. But this is also the worst message that I can share with you today. That if you don't repent of your sins, 
and believe through faith that Jesus Christ bore them on the cross and on the third day rose from the dead, then you, my friend, will experience the wrath of Almighty God. And you will be in torment and grind your teeth in pain and anger for eternity. Eternity. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And you will never be able to quench or exhaust the wrath of God for the sins that you have committed against Him. You don't believe in Jesus Christ as Lord, maybe as Savior, but not as Lord. And He is definitely both. You have rejected Him as Lord, and in so doing, you have chosen a life to chase after your own pleasures and your own lusts, and you have suppressed the truth of God and His gospel and you have rejected Him as Lord and Savior. That is the worst place you can be in. Account after account is given to us in God's Word so that we can see and understand that our God hates sin and He will react with a righteous anger. He pours out His wrath on those who reject His righteousness and sin against His commands. Everyone's sin will meet the consequences of God's wrath. So look back with me to Romans 1. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven, the better interpretation of that word is being revealed. For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. It wasn't just in the Old Testament that his wrath was revealed, but it is being revealed to us, to everyone all of mankind. And we can see in this Romans 1.8 that they suppress the truth, meaning they know it, but they reject it. They push away from it. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. And therefore, they will have no excuse when they die. And when they meet Him, in his fury. And in case we didn't catch that part of it, look at 19 through 21. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. 
For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. I was looking through online, and I saw, came across a sermon by um, Spurgeon, and I wanted to read um, one part of it to you guys. And it's specifically talking about um, verse 21. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. So here is a, a little part from his sermon. He talks a little different, but not so bad that he can't follow. It says the first charge against those who are mentioned in my text is want of reverence. They knew God, but they glorified Him not as God. They knew that there was a God. They never denied His existence, but they had no reverence for His name. They did not render to Him the homage to which He is entitled. They did not glorify Him as God. Of many, this is still true in this form. They never think of God they go from year to year without any practical thought of God. Not only is he not in their words, he is not in their thoughts. As the psalmist puts it, the wicked through the pride of, of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all of his thoughts. The marginal reading is very expressive. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Whether there is a God or not makes no practical difference to the wicked. They have so little esteem for him that perhaps if we could prove that there were no God, they would feel easier in their consciences. There must be something very wrong with you when you would rather that there were no God. Well, says one, I do not care much whether there is a God or not. I am an agnostic which is someone who just doesn't believe that you can know God at all that he's not a knowable God. Yes, a gentleman once told me that he was an agnostic. Oh, I said, that is a Greek word, is it not? And the equivalent Latin word is ignoramus. Somehow he did not like it in Latin nearly as much as in the Greek. Oh, dear friends, I could not bear to be an ignoramus or an agnostic about God. I must have a God. I cannot do without him. He is to me as necessary as food to my body and to air to my lungs. The sad thing is that there are many who believe that there is a God, yet glorify him not as God. For they do not even give him a thought. I appeal to some here whether this is not true. You go from the beginning of the week to the end of it without reflecting upon God at all. You could do well without God as well with him. Is not this the case? And must there not be something very terrible in the condition of your heart when as a creature you can do nothing without, or you can do without the thought of your creator? When he, had, when he that has nourished you and brought you up is nothing to you, one of whom you never think. These people further have no right con conceptions of God. The true conception of God is that He is all in all. If God is anything, 
we ought to make him everything. You cannot put God in second place. He is almighty, all wise, all gracious, knowing everything, being in every place, constantly present, the emanations of his power found in every part of the universe. God is infinitely glorious. And unless we treat him as such, we have not treated him as we ought, as he ought to be treated. If there be a king and he is set to open the door or to do menial work, he is not honored as king as a king should be. Shall the great God be made a lackey to our lusts? Shall we put God aside and say to him, when I have a more convenient season, I will send for thee. When I have more money, I will attend to religion. And yet when the heart of the, I can the be religious and not lose anything by it, then I will seek thee. Dost thou treat God so? Oh, beware. This is high treason against the king of kings. Wrong ideas of God. Groveling thoughts of God come under the censure of the text. The text. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. So in verse 21, you can see this rejection of God, the suppression of God does not have to be a blatant, defiant, I hate God. It can be an indifference to God. It can be more subtle than that. Excuses can be made for serving Christ. We can put it off from day to day. Pretty soon our sin doesn't seem so bad. And our rejection doesn't seem so wrong. God's ways don't seem that important. And you see, there's no reverence and there's no respect. So where are you and I as believers in all this? In the beginning of this message, I told you that we must understand the wrath of God. For we truly understand it when we came to saving faith and knowledge of Him. And we must understand this truth to share it as we witness. There are not many ways to heaven. There is only one way, and that is through Jesus Christ our Lord. We must understand that the wages of sin is death. All of mankind, every one of us here is pictured in verse 18. We have all been unrighteous. We have all suppressed the truth in our unrighteousness. This passage of Scripture, this book, declares all of us to be guilty. We all deserve to face the wrath of God because we sin. We reject. We have not always respected Him as our Creator, and we have often forgot that we are the created ones. And created for a purpose. And that's to bring glory to Him. The wrath of God must be satisfied. It will be satisfied. For those of us who have received Christ and repented of our sins and believe that Jesus is both Lord and Savior, God did not just take our sins and pile them up and trample them underfoot and act like they never happened. The punishment for our sin is what He paid, what Christ paid. 
our sin was heaped on Christ. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. understand what to believe this is second corinthians delight not only to understand i forgot i have a mic i was going to yell at you <laughs> second corinthians five twenty one. he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of god in him best verse best i think um, sermon I've ever heard in person was Paul Washer speaking on this text. Um, 2016 Shepherds Conference. So I recommend that to you um, if you want the beat down. Um, I listen to it multiple times a year because of how convicting it is to my soul. But this text, he who knew no sin he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now we must be careful with this text. Christ did not sin. He is and was holy and perfect and he is without blemish, but he was treated and punished as if he had. You hear me on that? He didn't sin, but he was treated like he had sinned. Christ not only bore the wrath on the cross, but he satisfied God's wrath. For believers, our sin has been atoned for. We know this because his tomb is empty. He was raised because God's wrath was satisfied through Christ's sacrifice and our slate is clean. Now this is for believers, right? When I say his wrath is satisfied, it's for believers, not for unbelievers. Christ bore our sins and received our punishment. And by him doing this, get this, he receives our punishment and the wrath of Almighty God, and we receive his righteousness. That's insane. But thank you, God. Do you understand, without that, there's no heaven for us. That's why it's only through Christ. He paid it. I pray that if you haven't surrendered your life to Christ, that you would. I pray that you would understand that God is full of wrath. I wish you were scared to death of what that fierceness will look like. We can see it in the rich man and Lazarus. And you can only imagine what it would be like to just ask that you would dip your finger in water and touch it to my tongue. You do not want to walk out of those doors today without having Christ paying the wrath for you. And he has offered it to all.
And I pray that you will do that today. And if you don't understand that, come, please, I beg you, talk to me afterwards. You must know. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you how it gives us such clarity of of who you are, that we can know you, God, that we can fear you, God, we can praise you and be in awe of you, to understand, God, you are a loving God, so much so that you sent your son to pay our punishment, to suffer from your wrath, to satisfy it, Lord, so that we would have eternal life with you. We owe you all. And I pray, Lord, when we die, we have nothing in ourselves that we think earned our way there. But we stand behind, in front of you, Lord, and we say, because of your son's sacrifice, I stand here today. Lord, I just pray um, as we come to communion, Lord, you prepare our hearts for this truth. We love you and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Magic Valley Bible Church Sermon Podcast. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.mvbibletf.org or Facebook at facebook.com slash mvbible or YouTube at youtube.com slash mvbible. MV Bible.